RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by Gameprint.net. We thank them and our patrons for their support. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 406 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and your weekly report from the Star Trek multiverse. Recorded on Tuesday, March 26th, 2019, and available for download or streaming on Friday, March 29th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Kenna. And I'm Anthony. So, Anthony, what have we got on the show this week? Elijah is out this week, but we've got a very special guest coming on the show to help us with this week. Our science advisor, Dr. Robert Hurt, will be here with another Astrometrics report, and he's joining Kenna and I to discuss the Red Angel in our on-screen segment. But first, we're trekking out Star Trek's 2019 PaleyFest appearance in Los Angeles. The cast and crew talk Discovery Season 2, Season 3, Pike and even drop some details about the untitled Picard series. And in Star Trek Online and gaming news, we're discussing the new upcoming content roadmap for Star Trek Online. And of course, as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. That's right, Captains. Remember that those hailing frequencies are always open, and we love to hear from you between episodes. So please reach out to us. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast. We're on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod, and you can even send us an email via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We also want to let you know about some upcoming events from across the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Tomorrow, Saturday, March 30th, Kenna will be appearing alongside Larry Nemechek from The Trek Files and Ken Ray from Mission Log discussing toxic online fan culture at WonderCon. That's Saturday, March 30th, from 7 to 8 p.m. in Anaheim, California. Then at the end of April, our sisters from Other Misters, Sue and Jara from Women at Warp, will be appearing on several panels at AwesomeCon in Washington, D.C. For more information on these events and others, keep an eye on our social media channels. And finally, we want to remind you that March is National Cerebral Palsy Awareness Month, and there are just days left to donate to Pop Culture Hero Coalition's Heroic Campaign at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash heroic. Now, you heard from Chase Masterson and Scott Palm last week, and you know how important their efforts are to ending bullying and helping children with serious disabilities. Remember, every dollar counts, and it counts even more this month. Every dollar that you donate to the campaign will be matched by the Roddenberry Foundation. So once again, this is a GoFundMe fundraiser, but the easy address is to go to PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash heroic, and we'll redirect you. Please, as you're listening to this, head over to PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash heroic and make a small donation. It will make a huge difference in a child's life. 
Now, let's check out all the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. Jim, what in places? I don't know. Then let's check it out. This past week, Paleyfest LA, the premier television festival in the country, hosted some of TV's biggest stars. On Sunday, March 24th, Star Trek had its turn at Paleyfest to promote all things Trek. In a red carpet discussion with Sci-Fi Wire, Star Trek head Alex Kurtzman spoke about the final few episodes of Star Trek Discovery's sophomore season. Quote, We are entirely aware of everyone's questions and criticisms. I've read everything, and I see where everyone's like, well, the spore drive never existed, and what, Discovery was never around, and all of those things? We're totally aware. You will get an answer. End quote. When asked if the answers would be satisfying, Kurtzman replied, quote, I damn well think so, yes. End quote. The cast seemed to agree with Kurtzman's assertions. Ethan Peck, our newest Spock, said of the wrap-up, quote, I personally think that the end of the season is going to be tremendous. When Kurtzman first told me about it, I was like in tears. I just had chills. So good, end quote. Anthony Rapp echoed previous comments, saying, quote, I believe very strongly that it will leave people satisfied. As someone who cares about continuity to some degree, I was like, if this doesn't make people happy, I don't know what else we can do, end quote. For more red carpet interviews, check out the show notes. So this is very uh, positive. I think they're trying to satisfy fans to a degree. My only concern is I hope that that doesn't affect their storytelling too much and that they end up just steering the ship towards continuity for the sake of pleasing fans and not for the sake of telling a good story. Because I, for one, am on board with the aesthetics of discovery i'm past the you know the, the the continuity the visual continuity interruptions i'm i'm very much in the story that they're telling and i want them to tell good stories and i hope that 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 they can do both if they can do both great i'm all for it but i i i don't want one to suffer for the other one yeah discovery's in an odd place it's like it's like a piece of a puzzle right? There's a missing piece between a couple of different pieces of canon that we know about. I'm hoping that these little hints that we're getting are are them saying, okay, we have a puzzle piece that needs to fit, but we're concentrating on the piece rather than just, oh, don't worry, the shape is going to be perfect. And then it's going to be some weird off color, you know? Um, that was a poor analogy. But my, my point is, I, I feel the same way as you, um, you know, that that extreme desire to make it fit could potentially harm the story um i don't know i i think we're so far outside of the type of story that they're telling i expect them to tie back but it's so out in left field considering that they're trying to make it fit into existing canon that i i suspect that we're actually going to get a pretty unique story and i would be surprised if if it was um weak compared to the whole part of just fitting it in with the canon. So that actually brings us to a really good community question. How do you think Star Trek Discovery Season 2 will end? We want to hear your best, worst, and wildest hashtag treculations. And for this question, you may actually want to go and listen to a little bit of on screen uh, before you start um, forming your opinions. You can let us know your answers to this question on the blog post for this episode, which is PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO406, or you can send us your answer on social media, or you can also email us at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. 
Alex Kurtzman also took the opportunity to discuss Star Trek Discovery Season 3, sort of. In a red carpet interview with The Nerdist, Kurtzman said of the upcoming season, quote, Well, it's Sunday, and I just came from the writer's room, right to the press line. So season three is well on its way. Now we have some very concrete ideas, none of which I will tell you about, end quote. And while Kurtzman said that fan reaction to season two was pretty positive, he also mentioned that he appreciated hearing criticism as well. Quote, I really love hearing what the fans have to say about the show and what worked for them and what worked for them less well. I like hearing it. It informs the way we write. Everything gets taken back to the writer's room and talked about. So everybody's heard, end quote. Now, so this is interesting. I actually am relatively optimistic about season three. And the reason for that is because we have had uh, a few different series of Star Trek where people would say, hey, just give it till season three. Right. Um, I think that there's a couple of opportunities here. Number one, they will have bedded in a little bit, hopefully with a little less turmoil in the show running staff, shall we say. But also we have now season two, I think, is going to tie off all of those loose ends. They answered the questions. Why are the Klingons bald? They answered, you know, they, they brought back, you know, where's Pike? Where's Spock? Where's number one? They're 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 answering all these questions and deliberately doing so it'll be nice to get to the end of season two get all that crap out of the way let's take a hard right turn and go tell a different story i think there's a tremendous amount of potential there if they choose to to take that path therefore i am optimistic yeah i think that what this tells me is that there was a lot more conflict behind the scenes both at the beginning of season one with the transition of brian fuller to Gretchen Berg and Aaron Harberts, and then again in season two from Gretchen Berg and Aaron Harberts to Alex Kurtzman. And I'm starting to think that Alex Kurtzman really has a clear Star Trek vision for where he wants this show to be. And I think we he has to flesh that out for the rest of the season. Like like you said, sort of get everything lined up so that he can then completely tell that story or or have the people who he's put in place completely tell that story without there being any changes midway because where this season is going the direction of season two is vastly different from where i thought it was going at the beginning of season one uh more so tonally than plot wise i i feel like the writing and the acting and the storytelling is is firing on more cylinders than it was in the beginning of season two and I like that. I like that it it's, feels smoother storytelling. It feels like it's really going somewhere. It has a purpose. And so I agree with you. I'm very optimistic for season three. Well, you can't talk about the transition from season two to season three without mentioning the loss of standout Anson Mount as Captain Christopher Pike. And the cast and crew didn't. Executive producer Heather Caden said of Pike's departure from the series, quote, If anything, it's not going to feel like a send-off, because I think that's what everyone thinks is going to happen. I think it will just become incredibly clear why he's not continuing on, because he has to go do TOS, so we have to make sense of that, end quote. Ethan Peck said of Mount and his departure, quote, I just admire the heck out of him as an actor and as a captain. There's some things upcoming that I think will prove to be very exciting for fans of Captain Pike. End quote. I wonder if he's talking about something other than on Discovery. Hmm. That's interesting. Hmm. I, uh, I, Let me dream, Kenna. 
let me dream. Okay, you can dream. I yeah. I, I feel I feel like it's unlikely, but I I don't know. I will say we've seen very little of Captain Pike the last several episodes of Star Trek Discovery, um, and that feels like an anomaly. No pun intended. Uh, and I think I suspect that we'll get to see him taking on a more active role in the last the last handful of episodes. Kenna, there was a time where we thought a new Picard series was impossible. That's a fair point. It's a fair point. Okay. And speaking of Picard, finally, the 2019 Star Trek Paley Fest panel ended with a topic that has been on everyone's mind, the upcoming Picard series. Alex Kurtzman told the crowd he couldn't say much, but, quote, here's what I will tell you. I had an amazing experience yesterday. I sat at Patrick's kitchen table and I heard him read the first episode and I almost cried. It was quite something. He's at an amazing place in his life. He's so excited. It's going to be a very different show from Discovery. The only way this universe, I think, works correctly is if each show is really different from and speaks to a different part of Star Trek, end quote. Kurtzman explained the difference between Discovery and the as-yet-untitled series, saying, quote, This is going to be a very thoughtful, psychological portrait in a lot of ways. We all know what Picard means to the world and why he, like so many legendary characters on Star Trek, has endured and what he's represented. He, in some ways, has to go through a gauntlet to find that again. Things have changed for him and changed for him in some ways, and yet, he is so deeply and fundamentally still Picard. We're thrilled at what we're going to deliver. I know Patrick is really excited. The cast is coming together beautifully, and I will give you nothing else, end quote. I loved hearing him talk about this new series um, because um, not not that it particularly uh, appeals to me. I have to say that the, the description is kind of, hey, all right, I'll watch it probably. Um, but it sort of reignited my enthusiasm. We talked about this, uh, God, going back months ago about the fact that I look forward to a time when there is Star Trek that I don't like on television because there's so much Star Trek that there that I can be like it's fine I don't really like that series I don't watch it um, I'm looking forward to the time when it's totally okay for me to say that I don't like Star Trek Discovery because I'm loving the hell out of Lower Decks you know when people don't accuse me of not being a Star Trek fan because I don't like the one Star Trek show that we're allowed to watch right so um, I love the fact that they are deliberately making tonally different shows. They're exploring themes in different ways, but with familiar characters and all in the same universe. I think it's absolutely the right decision for where Star Trek needs to go. And it, it excites me personally as a fan. You know, I agree with you 200 um, percent. You know, I love Discovery, but there's there's going to be shows that I might not like coming out in the future. I mean, I'll still watch them. I'll still enjoy them on some level. But you're right. There there should be Star Trek for everyone. And, you know, I'll, I'll use the other, the other Star franchise again, Star Wars. They've done it, you know. They now do anime shorts retelling certain moments from the Star Wars trilogy in bite-sized little bits just for younger audiences. And that that's amazing. Like... And I love the fact that Alex Kurtzman is willing to to go in that direction to see where where he can take these little segments of the Star Trek universe and deliver them to an audience that may have not discovered it. Well, Captains, that's it for this week's Trek It Out. But before we move on to Star Trek Online and gaming news, it's time for a word from our friends at GamePrint.net. 
Now, over the past few weeks, you've heard a lot from Elijah and Anthony about their game print ships, why they chose them and why they love them. But today, you're going to hear from me, and I want to talk to you about technology. Now, as you already know, Gameprint makes model starships for Star Trek Online, but the starships are just the end result. Gameprint is part of Mixed Dimensions, a software company that bridges the digital world and the real world by making it easier and more reliable to 3D print 3D computer models. Now, 3D printing is not like hitting print on a picture on your computer. You have to take what you can see and tell the printer how to build it piece by piece. Now take into account things like lighting and color, and well, you can see why Mixed Dimensions and Gameprint are leading the field in bringing personalized gaming merchandise to gamers. And of course, if you're interested in seeing just how cool their work is for yourself, you can get a discount when you order. Just visit Gameprint.net and use code PRIORITY20 at checkout for 20% off your order. Browse through their library of ships or upload your own. And when you decide to buy, use code PRIORITY20. That's PRIORITY20 for 20% off your order. And a big thanks to Gameprint for sponsoring this week's show. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. This week, we're joined again by Fleet Admiral Winters from the Priority One Armada. Welcome back. Thanks, Anthony. Absolutely brilliant to be back. Well, it's great to have you back, and we've got uh, a lot to talk about today. We're going to do a big discussion on the recent upcoming content roadmap released from Cryptic Mm -hmm. regarding the expansion over time for Discovery. And we're also going to talk about some of the information that uh, Mike Ambassador Calfatum and Star Trek Online executive producer Andre Emerson talked about on the weekly 10 Forward live stream. So first up is March, obviously, which we're coming to the end of. And we have the Peril Over Pavo featured TFO and the anniversary event on console. Well, one thing that players have sort of lambasted uh, Cryptic over is that Peril Over Pavo is definitely a sort of remake of the Draenor Gauntlet. Yes. And that is something that they mentioned on the live stream that they they did not intend for that to be a secret. And they, they admitted that they could have been more upfront about that the intention was always for it to be a facelift of that event with different rewards yeah and so i think that there was a communication breakdown between cryptic and the players over that i've seen it in game the players talking about how this is basically the same tfo just remade yeah exactly uh, i i've heard an awful lot and like yourself as well i've seen an awful lot of people making the same connection that it you know it's basically genoa gauntlet or um a lot of players not very impressed. They, they felt it was very copy and paste. It's unfortunate that, you know, there was that communication breakdown. On the player side, a lot of people think it was a little bit lazy. And it's just unfortunate that that breakdown actually happened. Yeah, and it seems as the real story basically is that they're doing some facelifts to existing content. And that's what this was. This was a, Mike called it a discovery dusting, (laughs) if you will, of that existing content. And they wanted to utilize it as a featured TFO to have, you know, additional discovery content. Now, one interesting thing that Andre kept saying was he would use the phrase reps with discovery. And it seemed as though he was talking about earning reps with the discovery content, mm-hmm. but I, I'm i starting to wonder that possibly at some point soon we're going to get a reputation system for discovery. And I know that in the past they've they've talked about possibly not doing 
reputations in the future. So I'm wondering, do you think we're getting a, a reputation system with Discovery, number one? And number two, do we want a reputation system with Discovery? It, it's a hard one to call. I mean, we were actually the first ones to bring it up. Now, it could have been talked about in-house, but I honestly don't think so based off the reactions from the devs. But we were the first ones, as far as I know, to bring it to the devs' attention that, you know, there's a lot of reputations in-game. At the time, I remember saying, for a new player, that's gotta be very daunting. You know, there's 12 reputations currently in the game. And, you know, a new player comes in, it's like, I don't know where to start, you know, what, what what do I work on, you know, what's the benefit of this? And now, of course, they're up to tier six. Yeah, ever since it was first brought up, uh, it was an end-of-year interview with Al, Maria, and Steve Ricosa. After that interview, then, the reputations took a huge backseat. Uh, they weren't coming with every major season release, and uh, it took quite a while. It was actually only when Victory's Life came out that we got another one, uh, which was, you know, obviously the Gamma reputation. So I don't know if they're going to release it. I suppose it's possible. Look, anything is possible. They might release another one. Uh, it seems at the moment that it's, it's not going to be regular like it was before where it was every season release we could be talking every couple of years we might get an update to the reputation system uh, which is either a new rep or something new done with it uh, as for if we want new reputation for discovery you see it depends on who you're asking uh, a new player to the game probably goes oh no I don't, you know, there's enough, that that's an awful lot of stuff to work on. And, you know, there's a lot more in the game besides reputations, and reputations are big enough. But you talk to the, you know, the long-time players of the game, the veterans who have all the reputations complete, and they probably go, yeah, we need another reputation. So it's a tough choice, uh, and I'm not sure that I have the answers. Yeah, the devs, I, looking at it from their point of view, it's kind of a hard one to call, you know? The only thing that makes me think that we might be getting a discovery reputation is that over the past year, revamping the player experience with the reputation system and the UI has been a priority for them. I know that they like to go back and, and make player experiences better, and we'll talk even more about that later, but I wonder if they made it a priority because they knew a new one was coming out and they've they've talked about how Discovery, you know, the show and the Discovery expansion is geared towards getting new players into the game and experiencing the best content of the game right away. And so I'm, I'm starting to think that maybe because of all of the work and, and prioritizing that system with updates, could possibly lead to a discovery a reputation system. That's that's actually a good point with in regards to, you know, like because of discovery, Star Trek Online is getting a lot of new players. You know, if I was to put myself in the dev shoes from a business perspective, you know, they probably want as much discovery related stuff in the game as possible, you know, to build up off, off the hype of discovery. So yeah, maybe, you know, there, there could be a good chance that the devs would say, we need to capitalize on this and we need a, a discovery reputation so that players can get discovery-themed gear and play discovery-themed content. Exactly. Uh, so moving on to April, uh, we get the first uh, new information, really, of Operation Repost event is a new featured TFO. Uh, first contact day event, which is happening actually next week in on April 4th, so, yep. so be ready for that. And then Pavo Dissension, the ground TFO on Pavo comes to console. So Andre mentioned that Operation Repost is actually part of a storyline bridge to May's Rise of Discovery update for the Discovery expansion content. Mm -hmm. He also mentioned that 
this is going to be the first in a series of three featured TFOs that are part of a larger event that we'll talk about uh, in June. And so this is kind of interesting because this will be the third month in a row that they've had featured TFOs. I've noticed this too. And I I have some mixed feelings about this because I'll be honest with you, the Peril Over Pavo event, while I appreciate the new content, being able to get new gear, the reward, Lorca's jacket, I think is very cool, but it started to feel a little grindy for me having yep. them back to back. And I'm, I'm slightly concerned that even a third month in a row, I might start getting TFO fatigue. It could possibly be because Peril Over Pavo, as we said, was kind of a rehash of previous content, and maybe that's why it's not quite as compelling and exciting. But I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that, and are you excited about new TFOs? You're not alone in your concern. Uh, I can tell you that. I share it, and I know a number of other players share it as well. It's it's a hard one to call. Uh, I, I feel the same thing. I. Th- I think that if this is the way it's going to be, you know, every month there's going to be a new feature TFO, I'd be worried that people will get burnt out, you know? It's just, it's an endless, ongoing grind. This, you know, every day for the same the same time every day, playing the same TFO for, you know, two weeks or three weeks or whatever. It just, you know, one week off, it doesn't give you... what. It's not enough time to sort yeah, of recharge. I think you need a couple of weeks, you know, to exactly recharge, actually. That's perfect. Because, you know, people have a lot of things to work on with their characters. You know, people have alt characters and stuff like that. And, yeah, I think there needs to be a slightly bigger break than just one week off. And then there's the other side of it with TFOs and choice overload. You know, there's, there's always this huge list of, you yeah. know, what, TF, what TFO do I play? I mean, the TFO list at the minute is pretty big. And I know a lot of people are going through the random system, which is fantastic. The random TFO system is just brilliant and was a fantastic update to the game. But you know, if <laughs> look at it this way. If they were going to do one every month, that's 12 new TFOs a year. I think I'd rather 12 story missions a year than 12 TFOs per year. Well, it's interesting because... This type of content certainly has kept me more engaged in the game than in previous years. I'll be completely right. honest. Okay. And I and obviously that's their goal, right? Mm-hmm. Cheeks and seats. Exactly. So I think they're definitely accomplishing it with this type of content. I do miss the featured episode style, though, a little bit. Yes. I know, and we talk about this, and we talk about what we like and what we don't like and stuff, and keeping in mind that the way that this, that the Discovery expansion is unfolding is unique to this situation. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that given a perfect situation, this is not how they would have like to have rolled out this expansion, but because of Discovery, you know, being on television and they want to capitalize on on it being in people's minds and being fresh. So they wanted to get content out, you know, as soon as they could. So they started the debut of the Discovery shorts right before season two. And now they're they're utilizing the season of Discovery to release this content. And they're going to continue it for a few months after Discovery season two, at least, if not more. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a unique situation. And I and I'm hoping that after this is all said and done, that the future will hold sort of a mix of these featured events 
and new content along with some episodic style of mission content. Yeah, I think that they just need to find the right balance, which is what you were basically getting at there. They need to find, right, okay, you know, we'll have a featured TF all here, you know, then we'll have a featured episode, you know, a, a story mission that runs on for three, four weeks, whatever, and, you know, then we have a, a seasonal event, you know, uh, whether it's uh, the anniversary or the summer event or the winter event or whatever, then they go back and write another featured TFO, another story mission. They just need to find the balance. So I understand that, you know, they're just trying to get their footing now with this and this is a unique situation. Who knows, you know, what will happen next year, how things are... You, one would imagine that next year they're going to be in a much better position to plan things out better. They will have learned from all of this and they can just judge things better generally. And speaking of new content, let's move on to May because with May brings the next major update for the Discovery expansion yes. uh, titled Rise of Discovery. Awesome. And this uh, is where Rekha Sharman comes in, who played Commander Landry in oh, season yeah. one of Discovery. She, her character is going to be featured in this content. And there's also another Discovery actor that Al teased us that they were trying to get. And yeah. Andre all but confirmed that they have another Discovery actor making an appearance in this content. Nice. They just haven't announced it yet. Yeah. They're actually internally, they're calling this update season 17. So I yes. think this is going to be the bulk of this Discovery expansion. Right, the conclusion of it. I don't know if it's the conclusion, but All it's right. definitely okay. a bulk of this update. I wouldn't be surprised if we get one more update maybe after, okay. maybe early, late summer, early fall, right? Okay, okay. But this is definitely the bulk of it. They did not say either way whether or not this was the end of, of this expanded content mm -hmm. or, mm -hmm. or not. But the biggest news in here, and this is probably the number one thing that I am most excited about and, and everything that they've talked about in this roadmap and in the live stream, was all Tier 6 ships will either, by this update, will either be or soon after will be scalable, will level with you as you progress through the game. So right after you finish the tutorial, any tier six ship that you've purchased from the sea store, uh, if you open it from a lockbox on your character, like right after the tutorial, one of your other characters gives your new character a lockbox, tier six lockbox ship, it will you will be able to get into that ship and you can play that ship right from there to the end of the game. And one thing that, that Mike uh, Ambassador Kell said on the live stream was, this is more in line with what we expect from a Star Trek experience. Because if you think about it, every Star Trek show has, it's it's always the one ship that you, that you travel with and it's almost a character. So this really allows you to emulate that experience of, you know, you're fresh out of the academy, you get assigned to the ship, to captain, and then you are with it through your entire leveling experience. And I find that really exciting. I know you, your experience with the leveling starships, you kind of missed going back to space dock and getting a new ship. But that was also because we didn't really have a large selection of scaling ships mm -hmm. at the time. Imagine if you can really pick what ship you want to play over time. And this really comes in when you're leveling alt characters. Because yes. you and I do this all the time. We get a ship from a lockbox or a new event ship comes out and we think to ourselves, oh, I know exactly what character I want to put that on. Yep. You're recently doing that for, for the Priority One Armada's 
Mirror Universe Month, which we'll talk about later, yes. uh, you're rolling a brand new character with the Mirror Universe Sticks yes. ship. Imagine if that ship was scalable. Wait, is that ship scalable? That that ship is actually scalable. I, I, I used it from as soon as I finished the tutorial, I was in that ship, and I've been in it since I created the character. And how are, how are you enjoying that experience? Really enjoying it. It was a lot of fun. But the problem that uh, I've run into is uh, the gear. The gear doesn't level with you. That, and that's where right. the issue lies. And uh, what I would say about this all T6 ships being scalable is, you know, there's good and there's bad points to it. And one of the bad points is that uh, there isn't scalable gear with you. And the problem that I ran into was, you know, by level 30, level 40... I was still using your like Mark III weapons and oh, wow. your your impulse engines and whatever. Of of course, I would have the odd piece of gear that I got while I was leveling the character, but the majority of it was all low level gear. And I I began to find the content really really hard. And the reason for that was because I wasn't going back to Earth Space Dock every 10 levels, getting a new ship, and essentially getting a free upgrade on all of the gear. And the gear being space weapons and space set. Ignore the consoles. The consoles, uh, you know, you you never got those anyway. Yeah, without getting that upgrade of the, you know, the next tier level of weapons, I really found the content very hard. The other side of that, then, is like what you were saying. You, You can get into the ship that you want from the beginning. And you really do feel like you have been assigned to a ship and, you know, it becomes its own character in your story uh, as you're leveling up. And right from the get-go, you can start working on, right, this is what I want to do with the build. You know, you can say, I want these bridge officer abilities and these are the type of weapons that I want and this is the set that I want. And you can start working on that from the beginning. And especially for new players coming into the game, they, they can, for the most part, get into the ship that they want to from their beginning experience uh, for Star Trek Online. Yeah, I completely agree. And I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it because, you know, I, I still have open character slots to fill. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving on to June, and this is where the other really exciting announcement came in. They have labeled here a new limited event and earn Zen ships by playing an event. And this goes back to the Operation Repost event. So that is going to be the first of three featured TFOs where you can earn what they didn't really have a name for, it, but they called them ship tokens that mm-hmm. you will be able to exchange for a coupon to get a free tier six ship. This is big news. This is really, really big news. Yeah, and this, and Andre even said that he doesn't think this has ever been done before. And I don't think this has. Being able to play in-game for Sea Store ships is absolutely amazing. And the fact that they're tier six, and that means that they're going to be scalable from the start. Right. That's just absolutely incredible. And so did you see what picture they used for the June slot. If I remember correctly, that was the Enterprise, wasn't it? It is the Discovery Enterprise. Right, right, yeah. And and they told that they they hinted that this ship was coming and it has definitely been confirmed that that ship is releasing uh, in June. Nice. And I will tell you this, if they're advertising this Earn Sea Store ships by playing in an event and they're using a picture of the Discovery Enterprise, I will be very upset if that ship is not a seesaw ship. <laughs> if that's a lockbox mm. ship and they're advertising earn seesaw ships, I will be I will be very disappointed. 
Alright, that's impossible to call. I can think of arguments for either case, you know, that it, that it, it goes into a lockbox or it goes into the C-store. I guess as the time draws closer, we'll have a better idea if a new lockbox is due. You know, and if there is a new lockbox due or on the horizon, then yeah, the chances that it's going to go into a lockbox are probably going to increase. And if we just had a new lockbox, then it's probably going to go into the either the C-store or the Lobby store. I didn't think about the low buy store, which I would be okay with that as well. As long as it's not something that I have to, as Elijah would say, pray to RN Jesus to get. Right, yeah. I hope that it's something that's accessible to a lot of players, um, especially if they're using it to advertise this new this new event. Right. Also, Andre said that this free ship will be account unlocked. Oh, the, the, the ships that you can earn via playing content will be an account unlock. Yes, he did. He did confirm that they will be account unlocked. He doesn't want to change, you know, the way a, a C store ship works, you know, because when you purchase one, it's generally account unlocked. Mm-hmm. And again, this leads into scaling tier six alt characters. This I, they're really they're really embracing the fact that the player is the account and not yes. the character, and I, I really like that. Uh, one other thing that they teased is that there is probably a Section 31 ship coming. More than likely, it's the one from In the Discovery. show. Right, yep. yeah. Oh, and also, Discovery D7 Klingon ship is is in the works as well. Oh wow! And awesome. uh, the one that they teased at the beginning of Discovery season two, when Laurel and Tyler were were showcasing the new D seven, you know, the new the new ship of the fleet. Yes. They said they said, look, some of these ships are already done and ready to go, but they want to. They, they're waiting until season two of Discovery ends to make sure that the ships Nothing don't else. do anything else special that they right, can include right. because they'd rather yeah. have a complete ship. Uh, available for players than than to find out after the fact that they could have included something else. Right. So they're exactly. waiting. They're waiting to see if the section one, the, the section thirty one ship does anything f- fun that they can add in game before they release it. So. All right. Whether or not this is all coming in June, I I don't know, but I they they pretty much confirmed that the Enterprise is coming. Right. That brings us to the last month on this roadmap, which is July, and we're getting the uh, Rysian Lolanot Festival. And they're coming out with a tier six Rysian Corvette. Hallelujah! It's not another Vorgon ship. <laughs> um, when I, it's interesting because when I first read this, I thought it was, I forgot that the original Rysian Corvette was a tier five. Right. And so I thought, oh, they're kind of going to go back and they're going to go back and and go through them all again. I kind of like that, you know, because the only way you can get some of these ships is through the Phoenix Prize Packs. Right, yeah. But then I saw it was Tier 6, and I was like, oh. I was like, this is even better, because again, new Tier 6 ship, scaling ship. And Andre even said this on the stream. If you don't love starships, why are you playing this game? Right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and and I think they're embracing that fact that people love starships, and they're allowing you to spend more time with your starship to really make it part of your playing experience and also to offer more options at lower cost because you can unlock a ship on your account and then it's available for all of your characters. Yeah. Um, and I and I, I really like that. I really like that idea and, and the way they're going with that. So they also mentioned, you know, new rewards for the Rysian Festival are in the works. I'm just happy that it's not another Vorgon ship. I am sick to the teeth of Vorgon ships as well as many other players are. 
and I'll be honest, I'm a little bit disappointed that it's not a Ferengi ship. I know a lot of players would love to get more Ferengi ships in the game, uh, but you know, it's it's a free T6 Corvette, Rising Corvette. I'll, I'll you know, I'll take it. Just as long as we never see Vorgons, uh, I have my belly full of Vorgon. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited because I actually have a character that runs the Rising Corvette, so it'll be fun to mm. have a Tier 6 version of that. Right. All right, so moving on to some other things that they mentioned in the live stream. Uh, in fact, uh, speaking of the Rising event, they are planning a new fall Halloween event that is going to be inspired by the TOS episode Cat's Paw. Huh. And I'm I'm somewhat familiar with that episode, but I'm actually going to go back and rewatch it now that they've mentioned it. But they said that it, in the very least, they're hoping to get a new TFO, a new social space, and 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 possibly some mini games, and obviously oh, wow. some costumes, you know, for the Halloween theme. Yeah. And something that, like the other seasonal events, can can expand and grow over time. So I really I really thought this is pretty cool, and I, it's been a long time since we've gotten a new seasonal event. I think the mm-hmm. fall is a perfect place to put it. Yeah. We have the winter event and the summer event. Those are kind of like the main the main yep. events, right? And in between, from, from winter to summer, you have a lot of little stuff. You've got the, uh, you have the anniversary event, you have first contact day, and then you've yep. got the summer event. Summer and now event. we have this big event in Halloween, which is really cool. And so uh, so I'm excited about that, and I'm excited about what, what new stuff they can do. And especially from what they've learned from these, from the other, from the summer event and the winter event, and how they can sort of start fresh with a brand new event and, and what that could mean in terms of the, the type of content and the, the experience overall. Yeah, no, this is definitely very exciting. Um, I cannot wait to see what they come out with. Uh, I, I totally agree that, you know, the the first half of the year, there's, you know, enough events, uh, or, you know, there, there's a good selection of events, we'll say. And uh, the last half of the year, it, it's, you know, a big chunk, you know, from the end of the, uh, the summer event to the winter event. You know, there's quite a few months there uh, of a gap. Yeah. A new thing for in or around Halloween? That'd be brilliant. That'd be absolutely fantastic. So they mentioned some other stuff um, outside of the roadmap, and I just want to quickly go through that, and then we can touch on anything um, anything you find interesting. Um, they mentioned giftable starships. So at some point, you're going to be able to purchase a coupon for a Tier 6 ship, a specific Tier 6 ship in the Sea Store, and mm-hmm. give that to uh, a friend or someone else in-game, which I thought was kind of cool. That is going to be very good for uh, the Priority One Armada community because uh, we picked up on that straight away as we can basically buy a T6 ship in the Sea Store and have it as a prize or buy multiple ships in the Sea Store and have them as prizes and gift them to uh, members of the Priority One Armada community. Yeah, that's awesome. They also mentioned that soon your alt characters will be able to start at the beginning of any story arc. Oh, wow. Once you have a character that has completed all of the mm-hmm. story arcs, yep. any of your alt characters will have access to the beginning of the story arc straight away, which I thought nice. was really cool. Yeah. Um, I think currently you have to press the skip button on every single mission yes. in order to, to get through that. And some of them you have to play yes. in order to progress past that. So I, I, I thought that was really cool. So as some of you may know, especially those Priority One Patreons, we sneaked some remastered Romulan episode content uh, during our 400th episode trip to Cryptic. And our, our Patreons got 
had a sneak peek at at some of those new cutscenes. And one of the things that they talked about is possibly doing a tier six ship reward for playing through the remastered Romulan content, which I thought was really cool. They mentioned that it would it would more than likely be a tier six Romulan ship, again, that will be scalable as you level. And I thought that was really cool, again, that they're going back to that whole concept of rewarding players with, with high-end ships that, that you can play throughout the game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then Andre mentioned several quality of life fixes that he personally would like to see in the game and that are being worked on, one of which is an environmental suit slot. He really nice. likes the concept of utilizing those those hazards in, in ground missions. And uh-huh. one issue he didn't like was that you, you really have to like go out of your way to make sure you switch to an environmental suit and then you activate it and all this stuff. So... He's thinking of, of having, and I believe the tech is already in the game and possibly is coming out with an update very soon, an environmental suit slot that you just, you load up all your bridge officers and your character, and then whenever you go into a hazardous situation, it automatically turns on, which nice. I thought was really cool. That is... Uh, so moving on to patch notes in the recent update for PC, there were a few things that we wanted to give mention to. One is the reputation projects to turn marks into dilithium has been replaced with a new store that is accessible once you reach tier five. The rate of conversion is the same, 50 marks for 500 dilithium or three elite marks for 1000 dilithium ore. Also, these purchases can be made in bulk, which I think is a very good idea. And Mm -hmm. you don't have to click and wait, you know, the the five seconds for it to go through. So that's really cool. Ground combat pets have had their activatable cooldowns reduced from five minutes to two minutes. So this includes the crusted hordas, the... The Megatu and so on, yeah. Also, in, in space, the distress calls, such as Nimbus and the Delta Alliance, have been reduced from 15 minutes to five minutes. This is a great update. Yeah. Yeah, big time. Uh, that is absolutely fantastic. I think the biggest the biggest issue with that was sometimes you would activate it towards the end of a TFO, and then you'd go into another TFO, and you'd almost be finished with it before you get activated again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, this really, I think this is really going to help in the long run. Also, there were a couple of powers that I think are used quite often that I wanted to make mention that they made some changes to. The first one is chemocyte-laced weaponry has been rebuilt to fix multiple issues and uh, may receive future changes. So there were some, I think, unintended side effects of this power, and they they sort of rebuilt it from the ground up. Also, directed energy modulation now also grants a weapon armor penetration buff while active. This is, uh, again, another very good update as well. I really like that because directed energy modulation is an ability that I use quite often on a, a number of my characters. Yeah, and um, chemocyte lace weaponry. I I think almost every single one of my characters has at least the first or second tier of that ability. Yeah, and uh, for a full list of the patch notes, uh, check out our show notes. And some events this weekend. Uh, players on PC can earn a hundred percent more XP from now until Monday, April first. And there's also a 20% off ship sale in the C store this weekend, and that sale also ends on Monday, April 1st at 10 a.m. Captains on console can take Starfleet's ultimate test. The Kobayashi Maru event is back this weekend on both Xbox and PlayStation 4 from now until April 1st. Participating in the event daily will earn you a weekend voucher, and those weekend vouchers can be turned in for a full set of great gear, including uh, the prolonged engagement space set. 
And don't forget that Thursday, April 4th is First Contact Day. So be sure to visit Bozeman, Montana, where Zephram Cochran made his first contact with Vulcans and participate in the Model Phoenix races to earn yourself a Tommy Gun special reward this year. <laughs> This is fantastic. Uh, I, I love this event, and uh, I, I actually didn't realize until you just read it out that we're getting a Tommy gun this year. This is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, as of the time of this recording, they haven't actually made a post about the event, but it is. Mm -hmm. it was on the in-game calendar, so I wanted to make sure to include it, because I know myself personally, I, I always forget about it. And yep. I, I want to make sure people really take advantage of that. And, and not only is it a fun little event, but, you, you, you know, you get fun rewards from it as well. So, Moving on to Priority One Armada news. It is my great pleasure to announce that we have five new recipients of the Armada's Medal of Honor. This is the highest award that can be issued to any member of the community, and therefore it is the most difficult to earn. We would like to officially recognize Captain Phantom of Priority One Gamma Fleet, Captain Chainshock of Priority One Beta Fleet, Captain Advisory Panda of Priority One Gamma Fleet, Vice Admiral Bulls of Priority One Alpha Fleet, and Admiral Cat of the Priority One Epsilon Fleet for their incredible loyalty, commitment, and generosity to the Priority One Armada and their respective home fleets. The Medal of Honor reflects the incredible dedication that has been made to the Priority One community. In order to qualify for this prestigious award, any member of any rank must have completed any four of the following. Earn all three level 50 career flashes, earn the five gold star energy credit badge, have earned the Dilithium Trader Medal, have earned the five million fleet credit medal, have earned the outstanding service medal, or have earned one block of gold press latinum. So today we are honored to present our highest decoration, the Medal of Honor to Captain Phantom, Captain Chainshock, Captain Advisory Panda, Vice Admiral Bowles, and Admiral Cat. On behalf of the entire Armada, I would like to express our sincere thanks and gratitude for your dedication and service to the Priority One Armada community. Well done, guys. Congratulations. Yes, congratulations to all. And for the second straight year, the Priority One Armada will be phase-shifted into the alternate Mirror Universe for the month of April. While in the Mirror Universe, we will conduct ourselves as such. We will therefore be changing the name of the Armada to Priority One Empire. Imperial Intelligence has learned Admiral Lita and a sizable portion of the Terran fleet has decided to challenge our entry into their realm. Emperor Winters and his loyal lords of the Admiralty will lead our forces to victory over Admiral Lita and the Terran Empire. To ensure our victory, your leaders have planned some very special events and giveaways. From April 1st to the 30th, loyal officers of the Empire will have a chance to win a Tier 5 Mirror Ship. One ship will be awarded to a loyal officer every day. All you have to do to win is be logged into any Priority One Empire, Federation, or KDF fleet. This giveaway is open to Armada members from the rank of Lieutenant to Captain. Make sure you don't miss Priority One Empire Live every Saturday in April. This year, viewers will have a chance to enter into a drawing for a Tier 6 Styx Terran Dreadnought Cruiser, which will be given away on April 27th. Finally, on April 27th, we will fight the final battle against Admiral Lita and the Terran Empire. Visit our Twitch channel at twitch.tv forward slash priority one. We would like to thank all of the following members who donated all the prizes to make this event possible. Captain Shadeslayer, Vice Admiral Bulls, Vice Admiral Nikki, Vice Admiral Mark, Vice Admiral Panzer, Admiral Hunter, Admiral James, Admiral Rikers, and finally, Admiral Cat. 
For more information about Empire Month, visit our website at www.priority1armada.com. Long live the Priority One Empire. Long live the Empire. So I just want to quickly talk about this uh, before we finish up. Uh, Really, really excited about the Mirror Month this year. Uh, As you just mentioned there a moment ago, Anthony, this is the second year that we have done this. And throughout the entire month, every single day, we're going to be giving away one Mirror Ship per day to a lucky Priority One Empire member. Uh, Granted, you know, they're Tier 5 Mirror Ships, uh, so you might be playing them for Endgame, but at the very least, they're decent Admiralty cards. So they're useful, you know, no matter what. The big thing for this year is the Priority One Empire livestream every Saturday. Viewers will have the opportunity to enter in for a draw to win a T6 Styx Terran Dreadnought Cruiser, uh, which will be given away on the 27th. But each Saturday, you will be given another opportunity to enter into the draw. So the more shows you watch, the more times you can enter, the more chances you have to win. And uh, this Styx Terran Dreadnought is going to come fully equipped. Full set of weapons, space gear, so deflector impulse engine, shield, warp core, as well as consoles and uh, devices. We're given the full thing away. It's not just the ship, it's all the gear for it as well. So yeah, it's a really, really fantastic prize. So uh, yeah, hope uh, all you guys enjoyed the Empire Month this year and hope to see you all at the live streams which will be taking place on twitch.tv forward slash priority one every Saturday. Are we also giving away a mini Lorca that you can throw into that mycelial sphere? <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe we do up a, a human character and try and make him look like Lorca. We have the jacketing game now, so... Right, exactly. That's it for this week's gaming news. Now let's see what's on screen in the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery. On screen. Well, Captains, welcome to On Screen, where we discuss the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery. This week... Season 2, Episode 10, The Red Angel. The crew paid tribute to their lost friend, Arium, before learning a shocking truth. Michael is the Red Angel. Tilly explains that in Arium's files there was information about Project Daedalus and the bioneural signature of the Red Angel, Michael's bioneural signature. Discovery is soon joined by Giorgio and Leland, who reveal that Section 31 is responsible for the technology that the Red Angel is using to travel through time, but they also know how to render it useless. The group begin hatching a plan to catch the Angel. Setting a course for ESOF 4, the team will use the deuterium on the surface of the planet to fuel their elaborate net. Spock reveals that Burnham is the variance that is causing the Red Angel to appear, and he and Burnham convince a reluctant Pike to allow Burnham to die, bait for their trap. Before being strapped into the chair that will expose her to the suffocating atmosphere of ESOF 4, Burnham reconciles with Tyler, and maybe Giorgio, but certainly not Leland, who reveals that he was responsible for the death of her parents. Then with the help of a gun-toting Spock, Burnham dies a horrible death, moments before the Red Angel appears. Discovery, Section 31, and the landing party work in unison to capture the Angel, who has revived the once-dead Michael. As the angel kneels, removed from her time-traveling suit, Burnham looks at her, uttering, Mom. Also, Leland got a needle through his eye. The end. So, uh, let's... <laughs> it was an incredibly powerful needle. I th- we'll actually talk about that in a bit, because I don't think we've seen the last of Leland. 
so I, so I, Elijah's not here today, uh, which means that we get to, to, to go off the rule books a little bit. Which is, <gasps> I know, right? Let's start off with some touchstones, and, and then I've, I, I've kind of added a new section that I would, I would like to have a little bit of fun with before we go into our pros and cons. So, uh, Anthony, why don't you start us off? Yeah, so there's this real touching moment at the beginning, and it's really reminiscent of... Spock's funeral and the Wrath of Khan, so much so that even Tilly, you know, mentions Arium being a friend. And I thought that that was a really, really nice moment and, and Saru singing and, and it was a great way to sort of wrap up, you know, the events of the last episode. Then later on there, Leland is talking about uh, how the Red Angel is coming through, is breaking the time barrier. And he mentions a micro wormhole. This is kind of a throwback to Voyager episode where they mention a temporal micro wormhole in which they beam a Romulan captain over from a science ship to Voyager. And they, they, they want him to, to sort of let Starfleet know where they are, but then they discover that he's from 100 years in the past, which is kind of interesting. So then also wormhole in Abilities, you know, those are mentioned through TNG and DS9. And then Leland also mentions the temporal arms race, which it sounds very similar to a temporal cold war, which was a major plot line in the first, you know, two seasons of Enterprise. And then also in Star Trek Online, they sort of pick that up and, and, and carry that on. So um, I thought that was interesting. And then he mentions the technological advancements throughout history, possibly being the result of time travel. That is a direct nod to the Voyager episode, Future's End, where the crew go back in time to 1996, I think it is, and also guest star Sarah Silverman. And you find out that the PC, you know, computer boom of the, you know, 70s, 80s, and 90s was a result of future technology being available to a, an entrepreneur. So I, nice. I, I really like that. Oh, and, and don't forget transparent aluminum. Transparent Scotty aluminum. Gave us transparent aluminum too. Oh wow! I didn't even realize they mentioned transparent aluminum. Well, no, but that was an example, right? Oh, Scotty oh yes, exactly. Yo, no, I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, yeah, you're right. Exactly. So, and then of course, you know, Arium's bridge officer replacement is none other than Sarah Midich who played Arium in season one. And they- This made me so excited. <laughs> I thought that that, and that answers the question as to why they replaced her in season two is because yeah. they were gonna, you know, they were gonna kill the character. And it was kind of neat to see them bring her back on and, and put her in her place. And, and so uh, I'll mention that later on too as well, so. And that's it for the touchdowns. So the next section that I just want to, I don't want to spend too much time on, because obviously we don't, we try not to get too much into hashtag treculation. However, this whole, this episode was like chock full of new revelations and things twisting around that we had thought were a certain way and are no longer. So I just wanted to put a little section about revelations in here, which by the way is a deliberate reference to the end of days since we're kind of getting to that point in the plot as well. So there's two really big ones that I just wanted to kind of talk over and I wanted to get your reactions to them, maybe not speculating on where we're going, but so the first one, which is about A, the Red Angel being Burnham and then no wait, it's her mom. This is a, a real was kind of a real surprise. I know a lot of people didn't believe that it would be Burnham or her, well, we definitely wouldn't believe her. it would be her mother because we thought she was dead. And then the second big revelation that's related is that the Red Angel is actually from the past, not the future. So this whole time we've been laboring under the assumption that the Red Angel is coming back from the future, when in reality, the Red Angel is coming forward from the past. She's seen the future, but she's not, she's not of the future, if that makes sense. Whoa, this is heavy. 
There's that word again, heavy. Why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? So for you guys, how did, how has your opinion of the show changed or has it changed with those two sort of quite big revelations? Let me start with the touch and since you mentioned that, that actually, if you want to talk about where these kind of relate back to sci-fi, that bit about the thinking it's coming from the future when it's really coming from the past remind me a lot of the turnaround plot point in Babylon 5 where they had hinted that they, uh, one of the Babylon stations was lost into the future, but it turns out it was actually going to the past. It was this, that, that kind of time reversal thing is something we've seen play out. I wouldn't say, though, to address your question, it's changed my opinion one way or another of the, um, the show this season. I, I, mean, I think it's a good uh, uh, reversal on expectation. It's something they've done a fairly good job of setting you up for one thing and then kind of swapping it out at the last minute. And they've, they've played that fairly well this season. I think maybe better than they did last season. But it still doesn't quite fix my, my suspicion that when all things come tallied at the end, that it's still not quite going to make sense. But <laughs> I'm still curious to see where they go with it. <laughs> yeah, I, as I'll mention here in a little bit, I had some issues with this episode, but what was interesting is that I kind of, my opinion was changing during the episode and in a, in kind of a negative way. But then when it got back to the, the revelation that the red angel was her mother and not her and how it brought, it almost brought everything I had been disliking this season into the forefront and then made it actually work for me. So I, it was interesting because during the episode, my opinion was changing negatively. And then when it got to the end of the episode, I was right back where I was in you know enjoying enjoying the season and the story that they were telling me so well the whole reason i brought it up is because i personally had kind of like a massive shift in the way i was thinking about the plot up to this point i mean anthony you and i talked before the show about the fact that we'd set up this huge like loop paradox right at the beginning of the show like how 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 are we going to set a trap if it's burnham because burnham already knows that it happened because it happened in her past but because we believed that the Red Angel basically knows everything that's going to happen because it's already happened for her. But now we kind of know that isn't quite true because she's from the past. She may have seen what could happen in the future, but it hasn't happened for her yet. So um, in terms of the time travel aspect of it, I, for me personally, this episode opens a lot more doors that felt closed and predetermined before. And it's actually kind of grabbed my... Uh, imagination a little bit more. Well, I think there's still so much to play out in that, too, because, you know, we do have, on one hand, we have absolutely assured it is not fakeable. It is Burnham. So I feel at some point Burnham does have to put the suit on as well. It's like Maybe the Dread this Pirate is Roberts. Part of that handoff. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah, what, exactly. that's what I think it's, is going to happen. It's passed on time. <laughs> <laughs> but. I'm not sure it necessarily solves some of the big mysteries because, for instance, if the Red Angel, at least at some point, is her mom, then why does killing Burnham create a paradox that she is aware of? Whereas if you're killing Burnham, there's a much more justifiable. So I'm not sure that actually explains why that allowed them to lure her, but, you know, we have so much revelation yet to go. So they still have plenty of time to explain themselves. I, I won't try not to prejudge. I mean, they left a lot of things open, open-ended open in this. All the people that supposedly died, I think probably haven't, but we don't know yet. <laughs> and, and you're right about the, it made sense for the Red Angel to be saving Burnham if Burnham was the Red Angel because it was saving itself. And now that it isn't, how is it and why is it saving Burnham and how does it know? So it's, uh, it's, it's 
raised a lot of questions here, which is makes it quite interesting now. And I think for me, it's opened up the possibilities. So I think up until this episode, I was thinking there's only so many places that this season can go. Now that they've, you know, quote unquote, captured the Red Angel, it's been revealed that it's her mother. There's so many more possibilities as to how this season is going to end. And I think I think that's even more exciting for me because now I'm like, oh, I really don't know where they're going to go now. You know, I'm going to be looking for where this ride is going to take us for the next four episodes. So, Anthony, I want to go back to something that you said before, which was around the fact that you basically didn't like most of this episode, which is kind of, which is a quite a change from how, how it has been the whole season. So it's typical around the time I kind of start to like it a little bit. Um, here you come in, um, <laughs> march it in that you hate it now. So no. talking about the, 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 the pieces of this episode that we didn't quite like, why don't you start us off and tell us, you know, what were the bits about it that you, that you didn't like? So I'll be honest with you, this is probably, even after watching it a second time, is probably my least favorite Discovery episode of, out, of, out of both seasons. I'll be, I'll be right up front. Now that's not to say that I still don't love the show, because I do. And, you know, there are some episodes of TNG, <laughs> first two seasons, <clears throat> that, that I, you know, I, I, will, I will never go back and rewatch, right? So that's just part of, you know, Star Trek and fandom in general. So that being said, I had a lot of issues with this episode, both like story-wise and production-wise and just like a lot of stuff. You, you pick, pick the worst one. What was the most <sighs> egregious problem that you just couldn't get over? Well, the thing, the thing that actually negatively affected me the most throughout the entire episode was, was them forcing that the Red Angel was Burnham. And you and I talked last week, and I, I think it was off air, but I, I said there's no way that it's going to be Burnham. Like, it just can't. And if it is, I'm going to have a serious issue. And so... <laughs> yeah, and I've been saying this whole season, it's going to be Burnham because it can't possibly be anybody else because the whole thing's about Burnham. <laughs> exactly. And then, and, then, and then just minutes into the episode, they're like, it's you, Michael. And I was just like, no! So so what ended up happening was, like, that that really affected me for the entire episode. And I was just like, man, like... and. Then then there were these like there was some camera work and cinematography that I did that I couldn't like get around and it just it just started to snowball and then this episode was directed by Hanel Culpepper and so then I started thinking if I don't like this episode this much am I not gonna like the Picard series like I started to get anxiety and so I had a really hard time watching this episode the first time through <laughs> until the last three seconds when it turned out it wasn't Michael in the suit and then I was like ah I was I literally jumped up and said can I I'm right. Yeah, but you're not. But you're not. Uh, well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. And even rewatching it a second time, I like it more. And there are certain scenes that played better for me a second time through. But yeah, I just it was a lot of stuff. I this is almost too much. But and the, the other biggest thing is if they're setting a trap for Michael and she knows about it, why did they never talk about that? Why did they never say, "Oh, yeah, you're gonna like, know, like you know," so we we can't tell you everything we're gonna do, or else you'll know how to get out of it. Like, there was never that discussion. They could have easily explained their way out of it, but I, I really had a hard time them just not addressing that in some fashion. Uh, Robert, why don't you talk about your cons as well? Because you, you've got something here in our notes about, about the time travel aspect of this episode. Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, I'm, I'm a tough audience when it comes to time travel anyway, <laughs> and I, 
I resigned myself early on the season. Oh, shoot. The whole season's going to be a big time travel story. And I think, because honestly, I think time travel stories are 90% awful. And very rarely you get a production team that really sits down and can really come up with a tightly integrated story that really makes sense beginning to end all the way back around to beginning. And that's what you have to work. But I feel like in Star Trek, almost 95% of the time, it's like, it's just time travel is very sloppy. It has no rules that it operates by. It becomes the ultimate plot device that we can make anything happen the way we want, like the temporal Cold War. There was just no rhyme or reason to when things could be intervened in and when they couldn't. And honestly, this episode evoked a lot of that. Like, I'm starting to worry that they really aren't going to be able to make it all make sense at the end. But again, there's still time to fix it. Ah, see what I did there? <laughs> but uh, in particular, you know, again, I, got, I picked up on the same thing Anthony did about like, so why is it inconsistent with how the Red Angel intervenes to save Burnham? That like when she was a child, right, the Red Angel appeared to Spock before Burnham died, you know, in time for other people to save her. In this case, though, the Red Angel waits until Burnham's completely dead and then shows up and zaps her with the time beam to reverse time and bring her back to life or something. I have been thinking about this because this is part of the reason that this episode actually grabbed me because I enjoy thinking about this timey-wimey stuff. With the revelation that she's actually from the past and not the future, it actually makes you realize that the Red Angel's personal timeline is linear, but it is not linear to us. And I started playing around with the idea, what if this jump where they've caught the Red Angel was actually the very first jump? Because it could be. It could be this is her mother escaping the Klingon attack. Like, we, we don't we don't know, you know, the the order in which we've been presented with the Red Angel may not be the order in which the Red Angel is experiencing things. So going back to save Burnham might be the very last thing she does. We don't know. So th that's why this, this is why this episode grabbed me, because it opens up a lot of possibilities that didn't make sense before. I think there's really a chance you're, you're right there. And uh, then I think for me, the only open question is I, I hope they have a really good motivation to explain how mom knew to save Burnham at that point in space and time. That's that's the part that, that kind of falls apart if it's not Burnham anymore. I'm not sure what they're doing with that. And and then in general, I'm kind of curious if this basically ends up becoming just a, a, what the temporal operations would just call a, a predestination paradox, mm -hmm. or sorry, predetermination paradox, where now Burnham simply has to go through methodically at some point and say, okay, well, now I have to go and make sure to visit all the places the Red Angel went to, to like tidy it all up, yeah. which then it just becomes like a little loop that doesn't... It, it came out of nowhere, out of the time stream. <laughs> so let's move on to talking about the pros, because, Robert, you've been, like, jonesing to come on the show for ages, where where, Eli <laughs> where Elijah and I have been, you know, <laughs> bashing the show a little bit. And you've been a fan throughout the whole season, so tell us, what did you like particularly about this episode? And, and you know, maybe a little bit of insight. What is your, like, your, your favorite takeaway from from the series so far. Yeah, the and in fact, like one of the moments I really liked in this, let me, I want to actually back it up to, to a conversation that we actually had on the show last season, which is the moment that, that you know, the episode that, you know, they killed Culber yeah. very suddenly and unexpectedly. And um, and I know the show definitely took some backlash and the, you know, hashtag bury your gaze trope that, that certainly is out there. And I have to say that 
speaking as a gay man, that moment didn't bother me in the way that it did for some people. And, and honestly, I actually have a number of you know gay friends who've watched the show, and it, that moment really wasn't like, how dare they do that? Because I was looking at the drama in a sense of, I, I look forward to the day when you can have a gay character on a show and not have to treat them with you know kid gloves. And like, oh, well, you can have them on, but you can't do this or this or this, right? If storytellers feel like you have a character of color or a gay character or something, but if you put them on, then you will simply come under fire if you do you know two-thirds of the things you're doing to the other characters I feel yeah actually it becomes a disenfranchisement of uh, like I feel like an actor has to feel free, you know a writer has to feel free to kill off a gay character or a person of color or, or a woman or a man equally right and it's at some point you have to kind of come to grips with that and I did see that his return seated I mean literally in that scene and in, in uh, that uh, towards the end of the first season where that little speck of light fell on Tilly's shoulder and I know maybe I'd been reading some speculation that oh his story might not be over as soon as I saw that speck hit her shoulder I said I don't know how but that's Culber. Somehow that's bringing Culber back. So this whole arc was something I kind of anticipated, and it played out in a more weird way than I expected, but I was kind of okay with that. I think it was a more weird way than anyone expected, let's be honest. Well, <laughs> <laughs> were we, wa- were they, they we both watching that points. episode? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, uh, But, you know, I actually... From Star Trek science, I kind of liked the angle they came up with. They had to beam him back through the meat transporter, you know. So. <laughs> Hashtag meat transporter. The mycelium meat porter. <laughs> but the thing I found interesting about then bringing him back was they, they started with a, you know, a really ideal, very perfect relationship, which from a writer's point of view is kind of boring. They always like to break up pers- you know, perfect relationships. But by bringing him back and then really digging into this idea of identity with him, that so often in Star Trek, when people are brought back from the death and from the dead, and the fact that I say that as a line, <laughs> I guess tells us so much about <laughs> the impermanence of death in science fiction. It's just like passed on, hardly noticed. I mean, yes, they actually did linger on Spock, that chance to kind of reestablish his identity as he was reconnecting with his memories. But I really appreciated the idea of really making a plot point of Culber fighting with like not believing his own body is his, that this, that his being distanced from his memories. I mean, there are all sorts of actual real psychological phenomena that people go through where they, they literally say, do not recognize their own face in a mirror as being them, or they, uh, parts of their body, they, they, they can't identify as self. And there's like physiological reasons this occur. And man, being regrown from scratch with like re-implanted memories, if there's any reason for you to sort of feel distanced from who you were, I think this is it. And I particularly loved the moment I well I, I did love the scene I really love the scene with Giorgio and Culver oh and Stamets and Neil like what just happened here moment because I love Giorgio just playing with these people the way she does she's a very sharp person she always reads tension because that's how what she always had to do right and is just willing she loves throwing like a little grenade in the room and seeing what happens but following that up with Culver seeking out um, uh, Cornwall to actually talk to her as a therapist and her immediately understanding like no I totally make sense you would be having these issues. I thought that was an incredibly short but really beautiful conversation honestly I could have taken like 10 minutes of them digging into the nature of identity and self there but you know we can't get that much exposition. So yeah that was I really like where that arc is going and the potential for them to rediscover their relationship or reinvent or reimagine who they are. I thought that was actually a really kind of cool twist and direction for that to explore so but 
but other than that, there were a few other little bits and pieces I'll toss out that I, I, I particularly liked in this. I liked Michael's reaction to knowing that she may well die and having to go settle accounts. I thought the scene between her and Tyler was actually one of the most authentic that I read between those two characters this season. I thought I just something I really liked about that. And I loved her whole performance leading up to you know knowing she might not live. I thought she really played that very, very well. And I love this ongoing Giorgio redemption arc. I, I think that they've had a lot of fun letting her play like the bad guy who's at first not admitting she has connections, emotional connections, but we're watching those kind of start to manifest and become very, very overt now between her and Michael. That again, it, which in a way, it's almost the same story with Stamets and Culber. It's she's not, you know, neither of them are their own character, but they are like relearning, reestablishing that that affection that kind of transcends universes. And it kind of like I, I like kind of the parallel with that with Stamets and Culber too. So so on on that level, I thought that I think there was a lot of good meat in here of uh, um, character arc I really enjoyed. And I have to toss it out. I think Spock also had a really great in that shot. Yeah, that, that, those have to bleep EV that suits, out. You know that. Man. I have to bleep out that word. Yeah, I know but that's you will. That's fine. I think it's appropriate. I think everybody who watched this episode can't miss it. So there's that. <laughs> that's just for the patrons. <laughs> now, I wanted to actually respond to one of the things, well, kind of a theme that you were going on. Um, and this episode talked a lot about relationships. It focused a lot on Culber and Stamets' relationship and Burnham and Tyler's relationship. Burnham's relationship with Nan, which was really interesting, their exchange in the hallway. And it made me think about, because obviously the, the, the director of this episode is going to direct the pilot episode of the Picard series, and I wonder if that's what we're going to see a little bit of. Is that more of an emotional... And They kind of teased that, this more emotional like feeling rather than full-on action, because this was not a this was not an action-packed episode of Star Trek. This was a little there was some um, techno babble in there, but it was a lot slower and it was more talking through things rather than blowing things up. And that that pairing off of characters you you referenced, and those are also scenes I, I really liked, like just having a little moment for Burnham to acknowledge uh, I forget the the security officer like none. like you know I killed your friend, but you know none. It was that was a beautiful moment. One of the things I really loved about DS9, particularly any episode that was co-written by Robert Wolf and Ira Stephen Bear, there will inevitably be these incredible like pairing off of two characters having a little moment and having that conversation somehow just give such depth to those characters. And at some level, this episode felt like that chance that we got like, okay, everyone gets a moment to pair off and have some really important personal conversation with another character and explore, you know, whether it's Burnham, you know, punching Leela in the face deservedly, you know, or just, you know, non getting this moment say, you know, I'm sorry I killed your friend and I hope you can forgive me and then having them come to terms with that. These are all really cool. I, and if we get more of that in the Picard show, I'm I'm all in. Anthony, we haven't heard much from you actually on the on the pros of this. You've said you you hated everything but the last 3 seconds. So what <laughs> What was it about the the last three seconds? Yeah, so, you know, this episode basically took everything, every little, all the little things that I've disliked over this season and paraded them around like a Pikachu balloon down Fifth Avenue on Thanksgiving Day. And then in the end, they brought all of the things I disliked together into this one moment of revelation that then I was totally on board with because I love, you know, parent, child, 
dramatic relationships. So I love that they're setting that up. And I, you know, I thought the performances in this episode were phenomenal. When when Burnham learns from Leland the the real fate of her parents and and his involvement when she's you know like like you said Robert when she's sort of resolved herself that this this may be it. So she goes and have has these conversations. Colburn Cornwell just some really great performances by the actors in this episode and I just I'm I'm amazed I'm constantly amazed every week at how talented these actors and performers are and I enjoy watching them tell this story every week well thank you so much Robert for joining us it's been really refreshing to get a a little bit of a different opinion into our normal mix and uh, I appreciate you taking the time out of your evening to to record with us oh more more than happy I I love talking discovery (laughs) the good the bad the ugly and the fun it's all great Well, that wraps up this week's On Screen. Next week, we'll be tackling Season 2, Episode 11 of Discovery, Perpetual Infinity. And we want to hear your thoughts. Send us what you thought of the episode, either via social media or incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. And your comments could be part of the discussion next week. Space. Astronomy, quantum mechanics. It's not theoretical. It's not hypothetical. It's real. Education. Astrometrics. The final frontier. Greetings, Captains. Well, I have been away for some time on an extended science survey in the Gamma Quadrant, and while those studies are going to be classified for quite a while, for today's astrometrics report, we're going to examine a truly intriguing object in the outer reaches of our own solar system. On New Year's Day of this year, NASA's New Horizons spacecraft made history by executing a close flyby of the most distant object in our own solar system ever visited by a terrestrial probe. This new mission started in 2015 after New Horizons flew by the dwarf planet Pluto and its many moons. It was given a new heading towards an object that had only been discovered the year before it flew by Pluto. Known by its official designation, 2014 MU69, it's picked up a more colloquial nickname, Ultima Thule. This is a reference to a term used by ancient cartographers to describe the unknown icy regions beyond the northern limits of the known charted lands. The first images beamed back to Earth were quite striking, showing a red-hued object that looked a lot like a tennis ball resting against a golf ball, or maybe, given the icy nature of the outer solar system, a snowman. The overall size of the object is relatively small, almost 32 kilometers or 20 miles in length, shorter than my commute to work, and its location places it about 44 astronomical units out away from the Sun, or 44 times the distance between the Earth and the Sun. One of the most interesting features of the surface of Ultima Thule is something that its surface largely lacks, namely craters. When we look around the inner solar system at rocky objects like the Moon or Mercury or large asteroids, we find them completely potmarked by craters from impacts. That's because there was a lot of material swirling around the inner solar system soon after it all came together, and objects that were orbiting through that debris field were over billions of years pummeled and left with craterous potmarks, representing the long history of sweeping up and clearing out that material. As you move further and further away from the inner solar system, out beyond the orbit of Neptune, material would be increasingly scarce. There just wouldn't be that much debris around to pummel the few sparse objects that did form in the early days of the solar system. That's what makes Ultima Thule so exciting to study. 
It is a pristine sample of the kinds of material we think went into building the planets and everything that we see in the inner solar system. Of course, the universe has a habit of being a little more complicated and weird than it appears at first glance, and Ultima Thule is no exception. Now that we've received more images from New Horizons, it turns out that the object that looked like two balls that were slightly smushed together looks a little more like two pancakes that are sitting edge to edge. While this double pancake edge-on object wasn't really expected, it's probably going to tell us quite a lot about how objects formed in the outer solar system. It may point to relatively gentle formation processes of material slowly swirling and aggregating over long periods of time. Likewise, the two objects that form Ultima Thule seem to have come together quite gently, barely disrupting one another as they finally touched and merged to become a single, not-quite-snowman in the outer solar system. In the meantime, you may want to check out the links in the show notes to see the latest images of Ultima Thule and some of the 3D models of what it may look like. And that wraps it up for this week's Astrometrics Report. Let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, hailing frequencies are now open, and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. Episode 405's community question was, would you like to see a spin-off Star Trek series featuring Captain Pike? From Patreon, David S. writes, cancel Discovery and start a series that follows the adventures of Pike's Enterprise. We get a captain we can look up to, we get Spock, who is apparently so important that Discovery needed to invent a character that was connected to him, we get to actually learn about number one, and we get rid of the spore drive. Win, 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 and win. I agree with David S. 100%. I think we should get rid of the abomination that is Discovery. Now, they're doing an okay job with what they have, but they're, you know, it's third generation inherited storyline at this point. They're trying their best. But geez, just get rid of it. Just erase it from the timeline. Have Anorax come back from Voyager and just obliterate it. I'm cool with that. And then we can follow the Enterprise again. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that people are like, oh, you're stuck in the past. I'm like, I love Pike. I love the Enterprise. There's a reason I like Star Trek. Part of it's because of the Enterprise. Let's, let's, let's go do that. I'm cool with that. So I'm confused as to why we can't have both. Because they're looking uh, for new don't shows. Like Discovery, and I wish they would get rid of it. Oh my god. Erase it from the timeline completely. That would be awesome. Thanks. Well, you never know. I mean, we don't know what this rated angel is up to in season yeah, two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we don't know. I, I think that there's. I Look, I would love a new Pike series and following the Enterprise in this Spock. I actually have fallen in love with Ethan Peck Spock. I was a little trepidatious at first. I was not excited about the trailer stuff I saw. I was not, you know, the first couple episodes, I was still kind of a little, you know, wishy-washy about him. But I have fallen in love with his portrayal of the character. I love the the brother-sister banter between the two of them. Um, I would sassy love, Spock. I, I love sassy, sassy Spock. Hashtag sassy Spock. Um, I would love, I would love for them to do a spin-off, I guess you would call it, of Pike's Enterprise. And I will be honest with you, one of the best parts of the David Mack novel 
leading up to Discovery was that we got a lot of number one in that novel and got to know her a lot. And I would love a series where we got to know her more. And I think that this, I think David is right about that. I think we we deserve to know more about number one. I think we didn't get enough of her. We didn't get any of her in Discovery. We didn't, we didn't get, get any, any of her, her at all. Like it, it was, it was, you know, it was disappointing. And I would love to see more of her. And and I love Anson Mount as Pike. I love the Enterprise. Uh, you know, I, I yes, 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 yes. But we don't need to cancel Discovery. From Twitter, Trek fangirl says. Pike show? Absolutely. He's the runaway favorite character in season two. If CBS likes money, and they do, then they should run with this overwhelming fan response. And I, I, I think Trek fangirl is absolutely correct that they would be silly to walk away from that or in some way just find him a place um, because he's wonderful. I mean, could you imagine in two years' time we get, in one year, in one calendar year, we get Discovery Season 4, we get Picard's, we get Picard Show Season 2, we get mm-hmm. uh, Pike Enterprise Season 1. Like, there, yes. you have it. You have the three, you have, you, you've, got, you've got it all right there. I am okay with this. Bring on the Star Trek. If, if, if a Captain Pike show is in there, I'm okay with it. <laughs> From Facebook, Arnold writes, Unless any new series is set in the post-Nemesis era, I will not support it under any circumstances. Discovery was clearly the last straw for me. Wow, a lot of uh, a lot of Star Trek uh, Discovery dislike here, which I guess well, is fine. <laughs> it's, well, this is an interesting comment, actually. I think it's really premature to say... To, to say that kind of blanket. Okay, you can't write off an entire era. There's <laughs> 10 years of time. There are a lot of Star Trek-based stories that you can tell in there. You don't have to go along the main timeline. You don't have to pull a uh, Star Wars episodes 1, 2, and 3 keeping up with Skywalker's kind of business. There are so many other stories that are out there that could be told in that era. I think it's a little ham-fisted to say, oh, I'll never watch anything. Um, but having said that, I, I've, I've heard that sentiment a lot of times. Why don't we go into the future? You know, let's see some innovation. Let's see some forward-thinking science fiction again, rather than plugging in holes that we already know exist. Yeah, and I don't know if if Arnold plays Star Trek Online, but I think that's one advantage that we have as as players of that game is because we mm-hmm. feel like we've gotten post-Nemesis content already. And true. and so we like yeah we would love to have a story set in that time frame but we've we've also been experiencing stories from that time frame for the last nine years and I think that we're maybe a little spoiled because of that and I would actually recommend Arnold if you don't play the game get in on it man because it's really good and you know there's some yeah, wonderful some really stories exactly and um, and you know it's it's all post nemesis. From Facebook, Jamal Taylor says, At this point, I wouldn't mind a limited series with some actual exploration, but I just want them to sort this timeline mess before they do anything else. And we have a series about the Enterprise exploring the galaxy already, TOS. Either go forward post-Nemesis, or make it a series of shorts where you cover different starships. What were Captain Tracy and Commodore Decker like before losing their crews? Did they get along with Pike? How did Decker stay in the chair after being bumped up in rank? Um, and actually, I agree with them. These are some really good questions that would that would uh, support sort of a shorter form 
short treks type stories instead. Yeah, and you know, we could be teasing a little bit of what we might see in season three of Discovery. Mm. We might we might bump up against these canon characters more often in season three. That's an interesting idea. The uh, the idea of maybe. I wouldn't mind seeing people that we referenced in TOS turning up, but you know, not as a not as a Spock. I mean, um, that's pretty hardcore if you're going to make reference to a character you already know. But you know, the the ancillary characters maybe would be kind of an interesting way to get a a little bit of a more rich picture of their history without going too nuts. And from Twitter, Davin says. Absolutely, I want to see more of that crew and more of that beautifully designed Enterprise. I intend to own it in-game in June. Well, that wraps up episode 406 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log and Mission Log Live, Women at Warp, and The Trek Files, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. And before we go, here's our community question for this week. How do you think Star Trek Discovery Season 2 will end? Give us your best, worst, and wildest hashtag treculations. Captains, you know we love hearing from you, so leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. Don't miss a thing from the Star Trek multiverse. Catch our episodes every Friday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Tuesday nights at around 11.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, and Twitter. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details. And if that wasn't enough, be sure to spend time with Admiral Winters and the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest Star Trek Online and Armada news, as well as spotlight some of the amazing members in our community. Each week, we team up with you, the viewers, to earn things like reputation marks and dilithium. With regular giveaways, there is something for all STO players, new and old. Follow us on all of our social media accounts for broadcast times, and if you'd like to join the Armada, just visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions Guard Frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to heroesrisepodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio editors, including Brandon Parker, James Golding, Rand Hurl, Daniel Stevens, Skiffy, and Winters. Thanks to our producer, Jake Morgan, for assisting in the writing of our show and social media endeavors. Thanks to our graphic artist and web designer, Henry Pomper, with support from Jason Smith of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. And most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community and our listeners, because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. 
Enemy ship on sensors. Shields up. Su no. Engage. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, I just, I just didn't change it. <laughs> well, captains, hailing frequencies are now open, and we are here for your, for your incoming messages. <laughs> sorry, I'll read it. Unlike Elijah now. Um, oh God, were you doing an Elijah impression? Because that was not it. Podcast.roddenberry.com, the Roddenberry Podcast Network.